Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. broadcast today is entitled A Cheerful Giver and comes to you from the pulpit of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church from a message that I delivered last Sunday as a part of our series through 2 Corinthians here at Flint River on Sunday mornings. This message comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and reflects on the giving of the church at Corinth to the impoverished saints in Jerusalem And as Paul is writing about this concept of giving and helping one another, he exhorts that we shouldn't give grudgingly, and we shouldn't give of necessity, as if we're forced to give, but God loves the cheerful giver. In fact, the more we're happy to give, the more blessings God gives us in our lives. That sort of mentality leads to many blessings in our lives, not necessarily financial blessings, 
But when we have that charitable giving spirit about us, it is so very Christ-like. It is so close to the love and affection that God has for us in its outworkings. God is just pleased to bless us with many blessings in our lives when we are cheerful in our support of others. Here's today's message, A Cheerful Giver. If you recall the last couple of messages together, we've been studying Paul's exhortation to Corinth, or more specifically the Christians in Corinth, to complete the relief contribution, as it were, that he had instructed, exhorted them to accumulate and send to impoverished saints in Jerusalem one year prior. Last week together, we considered the entirety of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because of that, we didn't go verse by verse through some of it. We went keyword by keyword, giving you the context of that. But if you recall, one year prior, Paul writes to them, and we believe that to be 1 Corinthians, that earlier epistle that he wrote, and he encourages them to raise money and send to the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. And we looked in the book of Acts how at least twice this had occurred. You have an earlier occurrence that Paul was involved in in chapter 12, and then you have this later relief fund, as it were, that Paul arranges and organizes here with the Corinthians and the Macedonians and other people. Paul writes to them and he encourages them. He intended to go to be with them and to take these funds and give them to Jerusalem. But as what happens to us many times in our lives, Paul's plans were interrupted. He didn't get to go to Corinth again as he desired. And so he in a sense, shames them because since he never showed up, guess what they never did? They never sent relief. And so what he tells them throughout chapter 8, and he begins alluding to in chapter 7, is, I'm going to send Titus. I sure hope you guys are ready. You've had a year. You were a little slothful in this business. I'm sending Titus to you. Now get it done. Send this money to the saints in Jerusalem who are going through great suffering, whereas the Corinthians, were they suffering financially? No, they were very prosperous. And so Paul says, look, I don't desire that you're impoverished and they're wealthy. What, if you remember the key word from last week, what he desired was equality, that the saints in Jerusalem wouldn't starve because those who are wealthy in Macedonia and Corinth, which is in Achaia, that they would send relief, and that everyone who names the name of Christ would be able to survive, to be able to eat. And that ought to be a concern of us even today. As we turn to chapter 9, what I will say is that we want to consider primarily verses 6 and 7. But I don't just want to give those to you, those two statements. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he is purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I want to consider those statements with you, but I want you to see what ties that to what we considered last week together. Again, an exhortation to send relief to the impoverished saints in Jerusalem, as we observe from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 last week. Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 9, "...for as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, 
for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I have sent, yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. And then we have our two statements that we want to consider today. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully, but not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves what? He loves a cheerful giver, a cheerful giver. We can all say that together. We'll go briefly verse by verse through verse 5. As touching the ministering to the saints, serving the saints, giving to them so that everyone can have food and shelter and clothing, it is superfluous for me to write to you. How many of you use that word every day? It is superfluous for me to write to you. That word means excessive. It's excessive. And I almost get the sense that he's making a pun. If you're talking about giving to someone, that giving could be what? It could be excessive, especially if it were very generous. I almost get the sense that Paul is making a pun, which he was prone to do. It would be excessive for me to write to you touching the ministering to the saints. Now, when I read that, I was struck with a sense of irony and maybe even humor. Why? Because for more than a chapter, guess what Paul has been doing? Touching on the ministering to the saints. And so after he has spent the entirety, the 24 verses as we have numbered them, of chapter 8... As it was even alluded to in chapter 7, Paul says, As touching the ministering of the saints, it is excessive for me to write unto you. I don't need to say a whole lot about it. You guys have a grip on it already, right? And when I read that, I just had to laugh a little bit because it is a little humorous considering how many words he has already written to them on that subject. He has been maybe in your mind, superfluous or excessive as he has written. But that's his point. I don't need to excessively bring the point. I don't need to be repetitious. I don't need to be redundant. I've made the point. Now let's get to the, the grand scheme of what I'm expressing. Please have what you have for them ready when these people come to take your contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. For I know the forwardness of your mind. I know you're on top of it. You're before it. You're ready. You're going. For which I boast of you to them in Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Remember last week we read that Paul had sent that earlier epistle to them how long ago? A year ago. And so when he writes that, according to verse 2, he had boasted of them to people where he's was then in Macedonia that they were ready, they were of a forward-thinking mind, they were going to send relief to saints in Jerusalem. 
I know how you guys are. I know you want to give, and I've bragged about you. And when they heard in Macedonia how those in Achaia, Corinth, by the way, is in the region of Achaia. If you look on a map, you have this strait that Corinth is just beside, and the other side of that is Achaia. And so that region encompasses the land that Corinth is on. I bragged to people in Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has provoked many. By the way, that's what a good example does. And you might be thinking, Corinth, good example. I don't think that he's being sarcastic with them. I think he's being genuine with them right here because he has already said that they desired to do this a year ago when he wrote to them. They were anxious to do this. They repented of all their problems with godly sorrow. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They made the necessary changes. Paul hears of that, and he's bragging about them to other saints. Good examples energize people. Now, by the way, birds of a feather do flock together. There's a lot of little fable statements that we make, proverbial statements that we make, and some of them are absolute rubbish. Some of them are great. Some of them are in between. Some of them people think are in the Bible and they're not. But birds of a feather, that is a great statement, especially for you young people. You will become the people that you hang out with. If you hang out with people who are doing bad things, guess what you will be tempted to do and eventually fall into? Bad things. If you hang out with people that do drugs all the time, eventually, eventually, that's going to have an effect on you. If you hang out with people who cuss like a sailor up and down, well, eventually their vocabulary is going to start coming out of your mouth. If you hang out with people who have no care for Christ, What's that going to do to your faith? However, if you hang out with good, godly, humble saints, birds of a feather, they flock together. Evil communications corrupt good manners is the way that the Bible would say it. He has bragged about them. Others have witnessed what he said, and they felt compelled to give as well. The good example affected other people. Your good example can affect other people. Look for good examples in your life that you might be positively affected rather than negatively affected by those that are around you. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain, as I already said, that you may be ready. Be ready when the people who deliver your contribution come to you, because I don't want to have boasted on you or about you in vain, lest... If they of Macedonia come with me and they find you unprepared, that we should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. And that's kind of a goad. I've bragged about you. Now don't what? Don't let me down. Don't let me down. I bragged about you. Be prepared. Have your funding there. That way there's no gatherings when I come, as he said in 1 Corinthians 16. Be ready because I don't want to be ashamed of boasting about you, and then we show up and you haven't taken care of this very needful business that needs to be taken care of. And again, he writes this not as a matter of covetousness. Be ready. We're not covetous, as he says in verse 5, but be ready. And I'll also remind you of something that we emphasized last week very briefly. A man gives according to what he hath and what he hath not. And so if you're three steps from poverty and you're not able to hardly pay your own bills, 
God's not offended at you if you don't have something to help someone else with. But if God has blessed you in your life, God has placed you in a unique position to be able to help those who are on hard times, which brings us to the subject, the verses that we really want to consider with you today. In verse 6, Paul uses forgiving a common metaphor of sowing and reaping. Paul uses a common metaphor in the Bible, agriculture, sowing and reaping, or as we would say today, planting seeds and harvesting, planting seeds and harvesting. I would point out that in these days, the sower was not as micromanaging as we sometimes are when we plant. Sowing and reaping is a very common metaphor in the Bible, and it applies as a teaching tool to life, many aspects of life. For instance, in Galatians 6, 8, if I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap destruction. What does that mean? If I give into the flesh, if I nurture the flesh, if I do what my sinful nature wants me to do, I am going to reap or harvest destruction in my personal life. Preaching the gospel is compared to sowing seed in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. This teaches preachers that there will be multiple responses to the preaching of the gospel because Jesus is surrounded by his disciples and he teaches the whole multitude of people, but his disciples are the ones getting the message. Teaches them there'll be a variety of receptions, types of reception to the gospel. At the same time, at the same time, it teaches that for various reasons, people will not continue to bear fruit in the gospel message. And I like to pigeonhole that as the fruit of hearing the word more so than the fruit of the Spirit, because there are times that the word falls upon my ears being deaf, and I don't bear the fruit with the word that I should. And yet I trust at all times the Spirit is within me, and I have those character attributes in my personality, because the laws of God are permanently written on my heart. Christ would say to them when he issued that parable in Luke's rendition of it, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. When he explains it to them later, the apostles, take heed how ye hear this parable of the sower. And if you go read that on your own over the next week, a sower goes forth to sow. Some seed falls by the wayside. I said earlier we micromanage it. How they sowed seed in that day is they just cast it. They just broadcast it. They're just throwing it in the wind, kind of like when we have a live stream or we're on the radio or we run ads on social media. They're just kind of casting the seed in the, in the air. Sometimes it falls by the wayside and, and it doesn't land on good ground. Sometimes it falls on stony ground and the heat from this world, the, the sun, because there's no root there, it just, it just burns it up. Sometimes it falls upon the thorns and the thorns and thistles of this world choke it out. But sometimes it falls upon good ground. And even on the good ground, it varies the level of fruitfulness at the hearing of the Word, the hearing of God's Word. And I think we could all say that there are times in our lives that we have not heard the Word the way that we should, and we did not bear the fruit that we could have borne at the hearing of the Word. And so take heed how ye hear. Make sure that we are hearing in the correct way. And so the sowing of seed is used for the preaching of the gospel. By the way, if we sow the gospel, we reap in the gospel. If I share the word of God more in our community, our church is going to have a greater impact 
in our community. Lives are changed when the gospel is sown. Here, sowing and reaping is used as a metaphor for giving. Sowing and reaping is used as a metaphor for giving. If we sow in our giving, we will reap blessings. It's a very simple equation. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you shall also reap bountifully. Let those words soak in a little bit. Cheerfully giving of your substance, of what God has blessed you with, is planting seeds in the field of your life that grow and the fruit on those trees is bountiful blessings. Let me give you a couple of caveats. These are not always financial blessings. But Scripture is clear that it is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed. You will be blessed if you are a generous person. Sometimes those blessings are the feeling of closeness to the Lord, the closeness of the people that you bless, the sensation of good job on your conscience. I hope you feel that when you give cheerfully. I hope you feel like the Lord is happy, pleased with what you just did, because we do live for those well done, my good and faithful servant moments, don't we? But we would be probably ignoring reality to erase the correlation between being cheerful in your giving and God blessing you in this world, because you used, you used what he gave you responsibly, and you gave it back. If you have something, it's because who gave it to you? God gave it to you. Now, wait a minute. I worked hard for that. Well, you probably did. The hand of the diligent, it maketh rich. But you know what? From Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. Both of those are necessary. Hard work and God's blessing are necessary. And the more you bless others with what God has given you, the more inclined He is to bless you even more. I said I had a couple of caveats. We also need to be careful not to be like those who hold riches as a way to fleece the sheep. We don't want to be like those who fleece the sheep, but at the same time, we don't want to overreact to their covetousness by sweeping this passage under the rug. Verse 7, every man as he purposeth in his heart. That's not quite the same as saying giving how much he decides in his heart but giving as he purposes. In other words, he purposes in his heart, I'm going to give, in John Gill's words. It refers to the quality or nature of giving. We purpose in our hearts that we want to give, and then we give. As a man purposes, so let him give. As you decide in your heart, I want to give to Jerusalem, as it were, the impoverished saints. In our day, it could be, it could be a church that is near us in the community that needs help repairing after a, a disaster. It could be when a hurricane goes through and we send truckloads of supplies and relief. It could be when someone in the community has fallen on hard times and you purpose in your heart to give. So give. As you purpose, so give. Let's look at a couple of negatives. Not grudgingly. I think, again, a parenting Comparison would be fitting. Have you ever told your child to give something to their sibling and they finally do, but the face is like, 
not grudgingly, happy to give, or of necessity. This would be like the federal taxes where you have no choice in the matter. This isn't of necessity. I will say that on one hand, members who covenant with the body and join a church, we we agree to support, to the best of our ability, that body. We have outreach, we have the upkeep of the facility, and as members we covenant together to support that. But at the same time, no one coerces. We don't issue you an invoice. We don't ask to see your W-2 form. You know, back home there was a church and the pastor would ask to see whether a person had been giving to the church in accordance with their W-2 form before he would visit people in the hospital. I don't want to see your W-2 form. I don't want to see your W-2 form. We don't refuse to serve you if we don't think you're doing enough. In fact, I never know what anybody does. That's not my role here. We'll serve you just as much if you've never given a cent as if you've given tens of thousands of dollars a year. And by the way, that also needs to be said, this also needs to be said, if you give tens of thousands of dollars a year, you don't have any more of a vote than someone who gives $10 a year. Sometimes people think that that money talks as well, and it most certainly does not. All right, what's the opposite of giving grudgingly or of a necessity? Being a cheerful giver. Happy to give. Happy to give. We ought to want to give. Why? Number one, from Matthew chapter 5, it glorifies God. When you let your light so shine, and you are the salt of the earth, it glorifies God, and it's beautiful. Do you want to glorify God? Yeah. Then that ought to make us cheerfully give to the calls, to the needy, to the poor. Downtown Rescue Mission is a great place to give. Lots of places around here that are wonderful. Grace is a girly is a great place to give. It glorifies God. It helps others, which makes you feel good. It really does make you feel good to help others. It's a sacrifice. If you've got a few hundred dollars that you give to somebody in need, in today's economy, does, do you need that for something else? Could you use that for something else? Yeah, you sure could. You know, it's crazy that now everybody's checked to check, but the cable didn't go up, the Internet didn't go up, the mortgage didn't go up. The cell phone bill didn't go up. What went up? Everything that you buy in a store because of inflation and shrinkflation. You could have used it somewhere else, but you sacrificed and you gave it. And the Bible is full of sacrificing, isn't it? The Pharisees turned the Old Testament religion from a sacrifice religion to a law religion. It was originally a sacrifice religion. They turned it into a religion of law. There were laws back then, but the primary focus was animals dying to point to Christ. They made it about the law for self-righteousness. Sacrificing is good. Next, it furthers the calls. If you listen to Words of Grace on the radio, if you watch the live stream, if you hear because of the working PA system, if the preacher seems prepared, you freed his hand so he could study. It furthers the calls. What do we do in every message here? We run as quickly as we can where? To the cross. It's a way to follow God's example. For God so loved that He gave. And for the joy set before Him, God the Son endured the cross, despising the shame. God gave, God gave the very best 
that there was to give, he gave his son for us upon the cross of Calvary, that we might be saved. And as James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. When we give, we get to follow the example or the pattern that God has given for us and that God gives. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.